Okay, so the Bible passage today is Luke chapter 6, verse 37 through to the end. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. When you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take out the plank in your out of your eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars, the good man brings up good things out of good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what, it is, what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who builds a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. If, I, if you're in youth church, now's the time that your program starts. For the rest of us, please keep your Bibles open there at, uh, at Luke chapter 6. And how about I pray? Heavenly Father, if it is your word that is important and that not only do we need to hear, but be wise enough to then do, to be those wise builders. We pray, Father, you'd help us to be building our lives today on your word. And Father, we pray for your help to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Now, I want to give you a feel for the context with which these words that Jesus speaks in this chapter come to. So if you've got your Bibles open there, I do want you to just notice something that Tim uh, looked at last week, but I think it's important to see this. If you've got your Bibles open there, look at Luke chapter 6, and you'll notice there in verse 12 is a moment where Jesus calls the 12, what we call them the apostles, the 12 disciples, the 12, to come and follow him. And having called the twelve, and it says he designated them as apostles. That, that word that means the ones who are going to be sent to bearing a message. And it seems though that Jesus, having called the twelve, then sits them down in this, and it's on, on this plane, it says on a flat level up a mountain, 
And then he sets about teaching the twelve. Having just designated them as apostles, as ones who would need to be sent with a message, that ought to inform us about what he is just about to teach about. Surely he's giving them a lesson. He's going to give them what they need to hear to train them to do the task that he's just actually appointed them to do. This is kind of lesson 101, the foundational lesson in how to be an apostle. That seems to be the context of Jesus' uh, teaching here in this passage in Luke, which is sometimes called the, the Sermon on the Plain because they're up a mountain, it says we're at a level place. Similarly, in, um, in Matthew's Gospel, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. But it seems to be a, a series of teachings that Jesus is giving these 12 We have other disciples listening in, but particularly addressing the twelve about how they are to be apostles, the kind of foundational 101 teaching. And it's really important to notice that because effectively then what we have with these words of Jesus is a masterclass. A masterclass on how to make disciples. Because that will be their responsibility. And if you want to be someone who, who's keen to make followers of Jesus, then listening into the master, give a master class, boy, is really critical news. And look, one of the things he wants to talk to them about and give them a master class on is how to go about making judgments. I wonder what you are like at the fine art of making judgments. I reckon most of us don't need too many people to teach us about how to do it because we just do it so naturally. We're very well practiced. It comes easy. Most of us think we're pretty good at it because often we have very little knowledge. We make easy, quick assessments and judgments about others. We don't let the facts get in the way. We don't get time to get into the slowest down. We just, just need to judge other people almost instinctively. See, I wonder if you've ever found yourself in your life uh, can you think of a moment in your life when, when you thought about someone and really in your heart of hearts you've just gone, oh man, they're hopeless. Now you might not say it to their face, but if you had someone quite close to you, a friend say or a family member, someone who you trusted, and they asked you of your opinion about that other person, then you would just simply blurt out loud, oh they're a waste of time. Can you think of where you've thought something like that or done something like that? I reckon if we're honest with ourselves, we've all, we all could. And if it's not there, hopeless or a complete waste of time, we've got other language, new categories that we use. Uh, they're a nerd. What a geek. Uh, in my day, it was, man, they're just a dork. It's been a while since I heard the word dork. It's worth saying that word out loud. The times changes. Nowadays, we come up with, oh, what a bogan. Or, hey, boomer. Something like that. There's all sorts of derogatory words we use, but the reality is still the same where we meet people and then often we have very, very superficial impressions. We form a judgment. It seems that we human beings have a great capacity to form judgments, especially negative opinions about people. And having made a superficial opinion from that time on, often our behavior towards someone can be completely determined by that superficial judgment we've made. And I'm talking fast, but can you recognize yourself in this? how well-practiced you are at the fine art of judging. It's important to notice, as I say that, just how, given how much we do it to others, it's important to notice how much we dislike others doing it to us. Strange how much it hurts us when others judge us. 
And have you ever noticed that because of that, how much effort you and I make to try and make sure that other people think highly of us? How much time and effort we go to to make sure that the type of impression we give to people is the right one? We go to lots of effort to make sure that the judgment people make on us is the judgment we want them to make. Because people's judgments about us make matter a great deal to us. And while our judgments of others we don't give much consideration to and give out, just give out freely. We actually do spend a lot of time and energy in life on judgments, on our judgments of others and trying to control others' judgments of us. And given how much time we spend on this, it should come as no surprise that Jesus wants to talk to us about it. And I think it should come as no surprise given the sheer amount of judgments that someone like an apostle will need to make. That it's part of his masterclass to them. That if you are going to be someone who makes disciples, understanding how to judge and do it properly is really, really matters. It's 101 kind of stuff. And so teachers, Jesus does. You can see his teaching there. Look at, look at Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Luke 6, 37, he says, Do not judge. And you will not be judged. Now here is a, here is a teaching of the Bible, isn't it, that lots of people know. Uh, I think we were mentioning last week that you know the, the most famous verse in the Bible, it used to be John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave you. That used to be the most famous one. Now the most famous verse in the Bible is John 6.37, or just half of it really. <laughs> Do not judge. And that's one of our problems here. It's so well known. And, and one of the problems is it's so well known where people have, well, they have literally, haven't they? They've literally taken half a verse, just half a verse, half a sentence even, half a sentence. And they've grabbed that half a sentence and they've grabbed it and twisted it and misused it and in the end so misunderstood it that they've abused it and haven't even listened into the masterclass properly because all they've wanted to grab is that half a sentence. And this is the kind of way it's been abused. You know, you're in a conversation with someone and you might say something to them that they perceive as critical against them. And what can so easily come back your way is, hey, hey, don't judge. Don't judge. Jesus said, don't judge, so stop judging me. And at that moment, if you're in that conversation, you've made the critical comment and they've said to you, don't judge, it can kind of be deflating. You can kind of feel like, man, this is just a knockdown argument. And... But as soon as someone says that to me, I, I want to say to them, well, stop judging me for judging. Like You were judging me for making a judgment by telling me not to judge. So why do you want... Stop making judgments yourself. But that never really goes down um, too well, as you'd imagine. Um, but however, I do think it's worth saying because people do want to have this, this rule for other people. Don't judge me. But as soon as they enforce that rule, they break that rule themselves. And that's just being a hypocrite. And that's not on. And that's the danger, isn't it, of taking half a sentence of Jesus' teaching, not thinking about it, not really looking into what he's getting at, then manipulating it to mean what you want it to mean and abusing Jesus' teaching for your own ends. And it is foolish and it is unwise and it is, well, it's, well, it's not building a life on God's word as the back, back end of this passage wants us to do. But it does raise that whole question then, well, what does Jesus mean by 
do not judge. I think by reading this verse in context, you can see what it doesn't mean clearly. I know that's a negative, but you can see what it doesn't mean. When Jesus says, do not judge, he is not saying, don't ever make any discernments whatsoever. He is not saying, never form any evaluations. Jesus is not saying, never look critically into something and form a judgment. That's what he's not saying. And the reason you can tell that's what he's not saying is because you're not just going to read half a verse. You're going to read the context and the wider paragraph. Actually, in, the, in this same conversation he's having, he will get. you would have heard Jody read it, where Jesus went on to talk about you can tell a tree by its fruit. And he's not talking about trees, he's talking about people. He's talking about people. You can tell if someone is a good tree or a bad tree, if they're godly or evil, by looking at the fruit in their life. You will have to make a judgment of the fruit of their life to come to that conclusion. In the same conversation, he's telling you, you will need to make some judgments about the kind of tree somebody. So it can't be, do not judge means never make any judgments. If in the same breath there, he's talking about making a judgment. And it's not just the immediate context which makes that clear to us. Just our lived life experience would just bear that out. Because you and, and I know, we, we all believe in saying that some things are right and some things are wrong, that this is acceptable and that's unacceptable, and we do make judgment calls and they're right to make them. Now this is a silly example, but run with me. Imagine you go to bed, you go, to go, to, you go home tonight and you go to bed and you hear some noise in the middle of the night and there's someone, there's an intruder in your home and they've got a gun. And they're pointing it at, I don't know, your flatmate or, or, your, or your kids or something like this. And, and, and they haven't seen you. And so what you do is you get on the phone and you get triple zero. And you're very quietly whispering in the phone going, you know, the, the emergency service person picks it up and you say, get the police here real quick. There's a man with a gun. He's threatening to shoot. It's not good. Bring the dogs. Bring the police. Get everything here. And... Now, could you imagine the emergency service operator on the end of a line saying, Oh, I'm sorry. Haven't you read Luke 6? Jesus says not to judge. We can't send the cops because that would be making a judgment on this person's behaviour. and we, We can't do that. I know it's a ridiculous example, right? Because of course they should make a judgment. And of course they should make a judgment that what this man is doing is wrong and plainly wrong and it is right to judge it that way. Now, it's a simple illustration, I know. It's a silly one, really, but I'm giving it to you to highlight that you believe in judging. And so from the context of lived experience and from the context of Jesus' words himself here about the trees and all sorts of other words where he talks about warning about you know, false prophets and you've got to work out, you've got to judge if someone's a false prophet or not or... There's all sorts of times where he, when Jesus says, do not judge, and that, just that half a sentence, that cannot simply be meaning that never, ever, at any time, don't make any judgments about anything. It cannot mean that. Which raises the question then, well, what, what, what does it mean? And that's where the second half of the verse is key, which is the half of the verse most people overlook and no one remembers because remember look at verse 37 again do not judge and you will not be judged ah. 
There's a link here that Jesus is making between judging and not being judged. Do not judge, yes, and you will not be judged. There's an important link here that Jesus is making, a link between what you do now, do not judge, and what will be done to you in the future. There's a link. Now, that link is important, but I don't, it's not a straightforward link, or not as straightforward as some people make it out to be. Some people think the link is this, that if you don't judge anybody ever, then, hey, that is the way that you can escape being judged by God on the last day, that if I don't judge anyone ever, then I will not be ever judged myself. It, it can kind of sound like that's what it's saying. It, it sounds like the link but I wouldn't be so quick to make that conclusion because Jesus doesn't draw the details of the link as closely for us as that immediately. And also, we've just seen in the conversation he does expect us to make judgments. And in fact, if, if I haven't been persuasive enough, have a look at this verse on the screen. It's um, John chapter 7, verse 24, where, where Jesus himself is talking and he says, Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. He's sick and tired of people just looking at the, the surface of things and making a superficial surface judgment. And he says, stop doing that, but make right judgments. So clearly, Jesus expects us to make judgments. So the link cannot be that you can avoid the judgment of God by refusing to make any judgments because God expects us to make judgments and just raises that question, what's the link? Well, I think the link is spelt out a little bit more further as the paragraph unfolds and you get a summary of the link, I think, at the end of verse 38. Look at John chapter 6, verse 38. The end of it there, the end of that verse where Jesus says, here's the link, for with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. With the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Gee, if you're going to make disciples, we're not apostles, but if we're going to be learning the 101 lessons about how to make disciples with the measure you, when it comes to judgments, here's the link with the measure you use, it'll be used to you. That is absolutely critical, critical to know. And I think it highlights for us, or something I need to say here, is that in broad brushstrokes, you know, there are two ways to judge. Two ways to judge. See, when someone does something towards you that is deeply offensive and has hurt you greatly, and there are two ways to judge. Here is the first way. Someone does something, it's not good, and you go, yeah, it's not good, is it? Gee, that's really offended me and hurt me. But look, they just, they fall into temptation again. They don't really know their left hand from their right hand here. They're kind of just trapped in a way of relating. They need help. They need the grace of God. And look there, but by the grace of God, I'd, I'd do the same thing. And I'd better treat them gracefully. I'd better treat them better than they deserve to be treated. They, they need my help, not my condemnation. That's the first way to judge. The second way to judge is someone does something against you that's offensive, that deeply hurts you. And you then go, what they've done to me is an absolute disgrace. They really deserve to be condemned. There's no excuse for this, and so condemn them, I will. It's absolutely outrageous what they did and what they said. They deserve everything they get. They're hopeless, they're useless. And look, I'm going to tell anyone who's willing to listen. 
two ways to judge. One generous, gracious, merciful. One condemnatory, harsh, without any kindness. Two ways to judge. And Jesus is saying to his, these men that will become apostles and us who will follow in the gospel, he's saying with the measure you use, it will be used to you. What will be done, what, how you measure judging now will be what will be done to you in the future. And I think to spell out the seriousness of this issue, to his disciples about how they go about judging. He actually gives a few examples of where this is kind of lived out in the real world. The first one I think there is back in 37, where he says, do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Friends, take a look at your capacity to condemn others. You might be thinking, oh Pete, what's the difference between condemning and judging? It It is different, it is connected. I think judging is when you evaluate people. It's the kind of the grid you use, the attitude you bring to that. That's, that's, that's the judging. Condemning then is how you treat people once you've evaluated them. It's how you behave towards them, what you say about them. And Jesus' the thing is, if, you're, if the measure you use is just condemnation, The measure you use be used to you. And if the truth is that if you are in God's kingdom and you've accepted Jesus' invitation and so God has, has judged you and said, no condemnation. If the measure God used to you when you were full of sin and worthy of being, well, worthy of hell, and yet he judges you by going, oh, sad sap who needs help. He doesn't know he's left from his right. Yeah, he needs my help. He needs my mercy. If that's how God has judged you and, and therefore helped you so that then he has declared that in Christ there is no condemnation for anyone, then who are you to walk around judging people with that negative spirit that leaves no room for kindness and grace but only condemns people? You... Do not condemn, or you'll be condemned. He picks it up with a second one about forgiveness, doesn't he? Look at verse 37 again. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Now you might be thinking, gee, what those people have done to me is is inexcusable. And part of the answer is, yeah, yeah, that's right. What someone has done to you can be inexcusable. That's, that's when forgiveness is needed. If, it was, if there was an excuse for how they treated you, then accept the excuse. It's not a matter of forgiveness. Forgiveness is for the inexcusable. And how did God measure us when he saw the inexcusable in us? Again, he saw us generously and graciously. He saw we needed help and he offered his forgiveness. I reckon it's even worth looking at the measure you use around your own mistakes. How do you measure yourself when you make a mistake? Sometimes, admittedly, we're overly harsh and we never forgive ourselves for some of the mistakes we make. Maybe it's a few, few of us on a few, on a few areas in our life. But by and large, in your life, think of all the myriad of mistakes that you make. How forgiving are you towards yourself? Often very generous. And he said, well, that's the measure you use to you. Use it to others. But so often towards others, we can be... Very harsh. 
repeat what they did was inexcusable. Yes, that's the point. God forgives the inexcusable. The measure you use will be used to you. So we're contemplating in your life, do you really forgive? Do you really forgive? Or do you have a veneer, superficial forgiveness, but in your heart of hearts you just hold grudges? He picks up one more area. There in verse 38, start of verse 38, it's all about giving this time. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. He applies this to giving. And it is worth saying, what is is the uh, measure of giftedness or givingness that God treats us with? And I want to say, oh man, he is so generous with his giving, isn't he? There's a sense where you might be sitting here in your life uh, anticipating that when that you'll in, have a great inheritance from a family member, from a family, from mum and dad one day. Looking forward to a great inheritance. I mean, don't be like that because you want them to live, right? But if you think you might have a good inheritance coming to you one day, I mean, we, the Heavenly Father owns everything. His generosity to us in what he's allowing us to inherit from him is bigger than you could possibly imagine. And God's going, if that's the measure God uses to us, how dare you be so tight-fisted to him? How can you remain so careful and cautious about your giving? How is it possible to know God's generosity to you and then, then be anything but very, very generous to others? And that measure, again, the measure you use to yourself, how, very, how generous are you to yourself? That ought to shape how generous you are to others because the measure you use to you, be used to others. And this is a good week to spend some time reflecting on God's generosity to you and how you can be generous to him in return. Because if you're tight-fisted to him, stingy towards God, well, heave a lesson, the measure you use will be used to you. This is disciple making one on one because isn't it? It's really important because what did the disciples need to, what did the apostles need to do? And anyone who wants to make a disciple, it really matters how they judge, how they forgive, how they give to other people. And unless they can take this to heart and change the way they judge, They will be hopeless at making disciples. We need to learn the same lessons. And just in case it hasn't struck home heavily enough already, Jesus then finishes finishes off his little teaching here with three very short and sharp but very confronting little parables to help drive the point home. Now, parables are often quite tricky. Often we think they're really simple, but often they're quite tricky and they take very good ears to listen to. Now, to help us listen to these three very short but very sharp parables, I want to try and show you what's common in all three of them so that you can get your head around what's going on here. Uh, the way each of these three little parables work is, is it's, it's a, if you are this, then whatever you do, don't do that. Okay? That's the way each of these parables, if you are this, whatever you do, don't do that. It's a bit like, if you are an albino, whatever you do, don't go out in the sun. If you can't swim, 
Whatever you do, don't go down to the Murrumbidgee River. Okay? Get that. If you are this, don't do that. Got that in your heads? Look at verse 39. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? If you are this, don't do that. If you are blind, what don't you do? Don't go and teach others. Don't go and teach others. Jesus is causing us to think of your life. What really are you? This is where the sting of the parable is. That bit's easy to see, but the sting is in what, who, who are you? Have you got your life altogether? Do you really know exactly where each footstep needs to go? Are you the light of the world? Is that you? No, you're the blind one. Recognize the reality. You was as blind as the next person. So when you set up yourself as a judge of others, who do you think you are to do that? You are not the judge. You're blind. You will lead yourself and the people around you astray. Okay, parable one. In case that wasn't blunt enough, parable two. Look at verse 40. The student is not above above the teacher. But everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Okay. If you are this, whatever you do, don't do that. If you are a teacher, eh, so if you are a student, this is the way this one is working. Uh, that's important because the uh, the word disciple is a word that simply means learner. That's what the word disciple is. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you are a learner. Like you're a student. If you are a student. That's you and I'm a, I'm a student of Jesus. If you're a student, then whatever you do, don't. Don't think you know better than the teacher. Is the lesson. If you are a student, don't pretend to think you know better than the teacher. And the point here is, if the way Jesus judges is generously, kindly, merciful, gracious... If that's the way he judges, then who are you to think you know better to him than to judge harshly, condemnatory? We are to humbly take our place as students and not think of ourselves as above the master when it comes to the whole area of judging. And of course, the last parable is the famous one that you all know, isn't it? Look at verse 41 to 42. Uh, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. If this is what you are, then whatever you do, don't do this. You know, if you're an albino, don't go in the sun. If you can't swim, don't go down to the river. If you have a, if this is what you are, and you have a plank in your own eye, then whatever you do, don't see yourself as the one who can remove the, the speck in someone else's eye. And this one, I think, has had the most traction of the three parables because it's so memorable, and it's memorable because it's so ridiculous. It is really ridiculous. It's that language here. Fancy having like a telegraph pole, a log coming out of your eye and you are so blind to yourself that you don't even notice it. 
That's ridiculous. And yet fancy having a telegraph pole coming out of your own eye and you, you then think that you are so insightful rather than blind that you can see a, a, tech, a speck of sawdust in someone else's eye. Which of course in your self-righteousness you, you think is a, is a plank rather than a speck. So great is our self-deception. And Jesus is saying, man, that, there's great hypocrisy there. This ability to spot the faults in others without being to see, able to see faults in ourselves, to see the problems others have without for a moment considering the, that we have any problems at all, and he, that's, that's hypocrisy. Because we don't just have a, you know, a plank coming out of our eyes. The reality is we have a ver- veritable forest of logs coming out of our eyes. And Jesus says, if that's you, don't pretend to be the one who can remove the speck. But I do want you to notice, as Jesus gives that example and that parable, that actually the way it it ends actually reveals that both the speck and the log matter. Because look at what he says in verse 42. He says, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is again a reminder of of judging. And that's what fits in. Sin is sin. And it ought to be judged as such. Whether it's a plank or a speck. But it ought to be judged not by judgmental people looking to judge others to bring them down so that they can feel superior. No, no, no. The speck in someone's eye matters. But it ought to be removed by someone who sees their own faults first who looks at themselves and sees their, their, their sinners as well, a sinner who needs help, who needs forgiveness, who, see, he's, who needs grace. And someone who's removed the kind of planks from their own eye because they humbly can see that they are sinful and that they have made grave errors. And so they don't come to someone who's got a speck in their eye with an air of superiority to hold it over someone, to be so overly critical against them but someone who comes to someone who has a speck with that, that he comes as a fellow sinner who also has been caught in their own sin so that you work hard together to avoid the temptations and bring glory to God. Let me, let me try and draw this all together for you by bringing us back to the, the setting. Jesus calls these twelve and he designates them as apostles. And he gives them a master class on how to make disciples. Part of which is you've got to revolutionize the way you judge. You must always have in your head, no matter which person you meet, that the measure you used will be used to you. And these 12 apostles... And then we as disciples and learners of, and students of Jesus ever since, as we walk this planet, we ought to walk around. We ought to walk around making judgments, going, gee, that person really needs Jesus. Yes, are they caught in sin? Absolutely. Are they doing the inexcusable? You betcha. Do they know they're left from their right? Have, have I done the inexcusable? They need Jesus just as much as I do. And I need to judge them as such. And so bring them 
the gracious, kind news that they need to hear so that on that final day, they will hear the words of forgiven, no condemnation, welcomed into an inheritance because God gives generously, that they would then come to that moment where they can actually come to Christ because you've judged them not harshly, but graciously and generously as someone who, like you, needs the help of Jesus in your life. And if you are going to make disciples. Then the measure you use. Will be used to you. So judge generously. How about a prayer that we as individuals and as a church would be like that forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father we firstly want to just deeply thankful for the measure of. Or the measure you use to judge us. We were rightly deserving of great condemnation and yet you saw us and you saw we needed our, we needed your help and you judged us as such and that judgment was generous and merciful. And When we reflect on that, Father, we need to apologise and just say sorry to you for the times when in our superficial, off-the-cuff, unthought-through, callous assessment of others, our judgment of others at times has, has been anything but generous, has just been full of condemnation. And Father, we need to apologise to you for that because it is inappropriate given how you've treated us. Please forgive us. But please change us also, Father, that we would judge like you judge, generously, mercifully, kindly, so that we would be prepared to help people. Call sin, sin, absolutely, but bring them to the saving news of Jesus like we were brought to the saving news of Jesus, that they too might hear no condemnation, a great inheritance and full forgiveness in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray that that would be the character of our lives and our judgments of others, not just individually, but as a church. It would always be our character. And we pray for your help for this in Jesus' name. Amen.